When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning, Highland. <laughs> I was asked by somebody after first service how it feels to be here, um, and I told them that it feels like I've returned to normal. Um, it feels like this is home, and I took a, like a four-year trip um, where I had to write a lot of papers and do a lot of work, um, and now I'm home for a brief minute, and it just feels good. Um, it's wonderful to see you. Uh, many of you know that my husband and I were members here at Highland from 2012 to 2017, and we had moved to Abilene because of the scenery. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> we came to Abilene uh, because I was going to start working on my MDiv at ACU, and uh, I had felt what I was calling um, uh, like a, a feeling of a call. Like, I felt called to go to seminary. Um, and this is a word we use to describe that feeling, like you're being pulled in a direction in your life, and maybe you've had that moment or many moments, many callings. And so I was in my early 20s, and I had started my master's work, and I was joining up with other people who also were trying to discern a call. And so I started gathering a friend group, and we'd study together and commiserate together. And in first service, I didn't miss the opportunity to drag Jeff Childers about the course load that he put upon us. Um, but we were working together to discern our calls. And what we started to discover was that our calls didn't look the same. So, for example, uh, my friend Becca Kello and I, we had both grown up in Churches of Christ. And I was discerning a call to to stay among the people who raised me, to um, kind of bloom where I had been potted. And um, I was feeling this call to stay invested in this particular group of people where she was discerning a call to become an Episcopal priest. And we would have these long conversations about how we're supposed to make sense of this kind of call difference. And um, we resolved to support each other. She would support me in my decision to stay within this group, and I would support her decision to become an Episcopal priest. So there came the day where she was going to be confirmed in the Episcopal church at Church of the Heavenly Rest, our neighbors. And um, the confirmation service is a special service. It was taking place in the evening, and Becca asked if we would come and watch her be confirmed. Seemed like a great way to support her. And so I, along with our gaggle of friends, um, went over to the Church of the Heavenly Rest for the first time. Now, all of us being like born and bred Church of Christ kids, um, we were a little nervous about what we might encounter at the Episcopal Church. Mostly what we were concerned about was not embarrassing Becca. That was our goal. Just don't embarrass Becca. Um, so we get to the church, and we see a big red door. And we're like, that can't be the door we're supposed to go through. That looks like a door for important people. So we start circling the building. And we're circling it like it's Jericho. We're just trying to find a door to get in there. And we're looking at our watches, realizing the service is starting. Um, and finally, somebody says, I think we are supposed to go through the red door. So we, we go in. 
and we find that we're trying to find a seat as people are moving down in a procession down the middle aisle. So, not wanting to stick out, we pop into the first pew that's available. We don't notice that it's like a half-sized pew for about eight of us. And so we all start in, but then it's too late to back out. And so we're all like shuffling in, and we're just crammed in like sardines. And we had a weird amount of stuff with us that day. I don't know why, but we, there are bags crinkling, and jewelry is clanging, and we're making a big scene. We get settled, and we have one order of worship between all of us. And there's like call and response, there's scripted parts. So we keep looking over each other's shoulders, looking to see what comes next. It's a kinesthetic service. So you're standing, you're sitting, you're kneeling, you're standing again. We're just trying to keep up. And we've spotted Becca. She turns over, hi, hi, look like everything's fine. Um, but then we notice that a part of the service is a candlelight service. And so they pass out candles, and the acolyte moves down the aisle and starts lighting the candles. And followed by this um, candlelit prayer time, there's going to be a moment of silence, a period of silence. So our candles are lit, we're settling in, we feel like we're blending in. Whew. And then it's time for the moment of silence. So we all go to sit down, and at this time, a friend of mine, who will remain unnamed, um, happened to have a great deal of very flammable hair product in her hair. And so as she moves forward, there is an audible whoosh of a fireball that just rushes up her hair. Um, and it's a time of silence, right? So we all silently dive on top of her. <laughs> and then the fire is out, but we're all like, did anybody notice? It's, it's like... And... Um, all we can see is the sunset is cascading in through these beautiful stained glass windows, and all you can see are just embers floating above her head. And we look over, and there is a pile of hair in her lap. Now, she was okay. That was my first concern. She was okay. But as soon as the moment of silence is over, people in front of us then turn. Are you okay? <laughs> and then we look over to the left, and there's a very anxious usher with a fire extinguisher just ready. <laughs> And uh, so, again, my first thought was for her safety, and she was safe. But I confess to you that my second thought was that I will always have my opening story for a sermon on Pentecost. <laughs> now, today is not Pentecost Sunday. Most Christians celebrated Pentecost Sunday on May 23rd this year. But today we are talking about Pentecost because... I want us to explore what it means to be a people who are led by the Spirit. I've heard that you are in a series called Gospel, that you're revisiting what it means to be these people of God, a, a community of faith. And, and so I want us to think about what it means to be people led by the Spirit. I don't know how many of you grew up in churches of Christ like I did, but when I was growing up in churches of Christ, we didn't talk much about the Holy Spirit. We even avoided certain verses in our hymns that mentioned the Holy Spirit. And while I'm sure that some of the church historians, some of whom may be in this room, could illuminate the reasons for that Holy Spirit hesitation, I suspect there may have been multiple reasons at play. Not the least of which may be that the Holy Spirit is mysterious. 
And we talk about the Father and the Son, and and those words are a little more concrete. We have uh, many images that are conjured immediately when we use the words Father and Son, but Spirit is abstract. Spirit transgresses boundaries. It defies agendas and moves on its own terms and on its own time. And for a people who value clarity and certainty, talking about the Holy Spirit might feel a little fast and loose. So our text for today comes from the beginning of the book of Acts, chapter 2. And you might recall that Acts is like the sequel to the Gospel of Luke, where Luke describes the life and ministry of Jesus leading all the way up to Jesus' ascension. Acts picks up the story of the church. Or at least that's what I was taught growing up, that this is the story of the church. But I think I might argue that just as much, if not more, this is the story of the Holy Spirit. Because Acts is full of these like character narratives and conversion stories and missionary journeys and so on. But if you look carefully, you'll notice that at the junctures between these stories, it's the Holy Spirit that is propelling the action. The Holy Spirit is the one prompting everything. In the second chapter of Acts, we are told that the day of Pentecost was upon them as the disciples gathered together. Now, when we hear the word Pentecost, we think about the story we just heard, about the Holy Spirit coming upon the disciples and the tongues of fire and the speaking in tongues. But for the disciples, the day of Pentecost, which was also known as the Feast of Weeks, had a different connotation. Historically, Pentecost was an agricultural festival. In the Old Testament, it was an occasion for the community to give thanks to God for the first fruits of the harvest. It was a day of commemorating God's providence and to recognize the community's reception of that providence. People didn't work on Pentecost, kind of like the Sabbath. It, it was a day of rest and remembrance and recognition. But by the Hellenistic period, the meaning of Pentecost had begun to shift a little. The festival became more oriented to the religious history of the people and became a time for the Jews to remember the giving of the law, the the giving of the Torah on Mount Sinai. I tell you this history, though, to point out a thread that you can see moving through this whole history of Pentecost, and that is that this day is a day to recognize God's action. God's providence, and to respond with thanks. So when the disciples gathered together on that day and Pentecost loomed large in their minds, maybe they spoke about such things. Maybe they spoke about God's providence. Maybe they spoke of their gratitude. Or maybe they spoke about God's providence um, in the wake of Jesus' ascension. What does it look like for God to move and act in the earth when Jesus is out of sight and out of reach. Now, I am a person who likes a good plan. Are there any other planners in the room? Yeah, yeah, you may not want to out yourself as the person who ruins everybody else's holidays, um, birthdays, etc., because you always like a good plan. Um, But this is who I am. I've decided to own it. Um, So, for example, as an educator, I love a good syllabus. I pride myself on writing a good, clear syllabus. So when I was a student, I would often rank my syllabi from least helpful to most helpful. 
I actually had a former professor come up to me after first service and ask me where he was in ranking, and I, I did not tell him. <laughs> I also have a very close relationship with my calendar. Uh, lots of notes in the margins, sticky notes, highlighter, multiple pens with different colored ink. I like to be prepared. I like to know what's going to happen and when. And you can just ask my husband about this because he's totally given up on trying to throw me a surprise birthday party because I like to be in the know. So when something unexpected happens, like, say, a whole global pandemic, my calendars and sticky notes and pens and highlighters come up short. March 2020 through March 2021 especially was a year of unexpected events. And when I try to reconstruct the events that transpired on some kind of timeline, I struggle to even put them in order. I struggle to comprehend how my husband lost his job on a Sunday, and by the end of the week, we had packed up everything and moved back home to my family in Atlanta. I don't want to spend this sermon rehearsing all the damage of a record low year. Although I should say, that for those of you who also had a record low year, you continue to be in my prayers, and I mean that sincerely. But I bring up the past year to reflect for a moment on a shared experience that we had. Collectively, we were all reminded of the very limited scope of our power and control. A, a virus acted upon us without our permission. The only power or control that we could assert was in our decisions to protect ourselves and our neighbors and, and so on to the best of our abilities. And then the rest was just totally beyond us. We were confronted with our innate vulnerability. And while we spend much of our lives tending to tightly packed calendars and, and we put on airs to appear whole and healthy and happy, we put up borders around our insecurities and our struggles, but the whole time, we've actually been fundamentally vulnerable. To be vulnerable is to be open to the possibility of being acted upon by another. Now, I've been thinking about this, and I've decided that vulnerability is not actually a bad thing or a good thing. It just kind of is the way it is. It's just a part of being human. We were created to be vulnerable, and at times, our vulnerability makes us susceptible to damage but also, it is our vulnerability that makes it possible for us to love and be loved. It is our vulnerability that binds our humanity with our neighbors and, and even our enemies. To accept that we are vulnerable, limited in our capacity to control what happens to us and around us, is simply to turn to God and say, yep, I'm not the one calling the shots here. And that's a faithful response. So when rereading the story of Pentecost for this sermon, it was, of course, easy for me to get caught up in the kind of wild and flashy details of the story, like the tongues of fire and the miraculous polyglottal experience of the disciples. And those are certainly important details of the story. They conjure a sense of wonder, like, like theophany, like an encounter with God, something thunderous and extraordinary. And yet... What gripped me most in the text this time around was the word suddenly. The text says, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place and 
suddenly from heaven there came a sound like a rush of violent wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting suddenly and it struck me that in this story that is so full of action among the disciples there's actually one who is really leading the action it's the spirit of god who surprises the disciples with the sudden arrival of this Holy Spirit encounter, and suddenly the Holy Spirit rushes in, and suddenly the disciples are acted upon. They receive the Holy Spirit, and it is not until they have been acted upon by God they are empowered to do what comes next. Do you remember that time in the Gospel of John when Jesus is meeting with Nicodemus, and they get in this very long, kind of heady conversation about the Holy Spirit and Jesus tells Nicodemus that the Spirit flows where it wills. Yes, the Spirit of God blows where it wills. We see all over Scripture that the Spirit of God is a creative force, an anticipatory agent, present at the very beginning of the creation of all things, filling the lungs of humankind, stirring providential action among God's people, showing up in unexpected ways. And yes, here in Acts 2, the Spirit, as promised by Jesus, shows up with great surprise in perfect Holy Spirit fashion. The Spirit suddenly rushes in upon the disciples, and they, being receptive to it, are empowered then to act, to live, to walk according to the way of God. We are told later in the very same chapter, Acts chapter 2, how the disciples lived in community with one another sharing all things, tending to the needy, and breaking bread together with generous hearts. And it's not lost on me. This is the work of the Spirit. This is what happens when we open ourselves to the surprise of the Spirit. Now, if you get into conversations with people out, you know, after church or wherever, and you get talking about Holy Spirit experiences, you're going to get a lot of different kinds of stories. One person's Holy Spirit abiding while watching a quiet sunrise is another's Holy Spirit in rapture while banging a tambourine. And I am not here to judge. I do recall when I was a teenager, I visited a Pentecostal church for the first time, and I didn't know what to expect. I became a little nervous when I noticed the ribbon batons and tambourines hanging on the ends of the aisles. And I will admit there was a part of me that kind of wanted to pick up the ribbon baton. When I was a little girl, um, there was a commercial for this toy called Ribbon Dancer, and um, it was like a ribbon baton, and um, I wanted to be a ribbon dancer. And um, my mom never got one for me, so I thought this could be my chance. But instead, I was far too nervous. I hadn't practiced my skills or anything like that. So I stayed in my pew, but that evening I did observe a, a different kind of embrace of the Holy Spirit that I hadn't witnessed before. And admittedly, my lack of exposure to the Pentecostal church caused me to be a little skeptical. And maybe a little shrewdness is good. I mean, Jesus told his disciples to be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves, right? But as I grew older and reflected on the experience, I started to wonder if, if I was skeptical because I lack imagination. I mean, who was I to decide how the Spirit moves people? And sure, we could argue that the fruits of the Spirit function something like a criteria for the, the presence and movement of the Spirit, but I just started to realize that the more I uh, tried to define and control how the Spirit moves, the less receptive I was to it. Maybe I needed 
to become more open to surprise. Perhaps you've heard stories like I have about people who felt prompted by the Holy Spirit to act at just the right time. And they might say something like, I felt the Spirit move me, or God told me to do it. And I've also known people who just always seemed ready to give, always ready to offer a shoulder to cry on, the first to show up in someone's hour of need or the last to leave. I've known women and men whose lives were so in step with what could only be the Holy Spirit of God that it was actually totally unsurprising to find them in acts of generosity and compassion all the time. These people weren't sitting around waiting for miraculous signs, and they weren't penciling in the Holy Spirit on their calendars. No, they just had developed the wisdom and the intuition to remain open to the surprise of the Spirit, to live in a state of constant anticipation. To be Spirit-led is to remain open to new possibilities, to be fundamentally open to your neighbors and strangers, to be on the lookout. Sometimes Christians read the Pentecost story as a one-and-done kind of story. The Spirit came upon the disciples, and ta-da! And now if you're baptized, you're baptized into that same Spirit, and then it's done. Um, but actually, did you know that this story of Pentecost in Acts 2 is just one of many Holy Spirit arrivals in the book of Acts? Like, the Spirit keeps it up after Pentecost. It keeps it going. Um, someone may receive the Holy Spirit and then be acted upon again and again and again over the course of their life. Never can a person strong-arm the Holy Spirit into submission. It doesn't work like that. But a person could be stirred by the Spirit on the Spirit's own accord. And I told you it feels fast and loose, right? Like, are my Enneagram 1s okay? Are you doing okay? Um... Maybe this is just how it's supposed to be. Maybe to be spirit-led people of God is to be fundamentally aware that we do not control God. Maybe to be spirit-led people is to accept our vulnerability and to respond with open hearts and a willingness to be surprised. Maybe to be spirit-led is to soften our fists, to put aside our greed, and to live generously with one another where our sound waves are completely overridden with the bellicose and argumentative, the Spirit renders us intelligible to one another in a common tongue, building bridges across our divisions. Where apathy and skepticism have obscured the public imagination, the Spirit wakes us up to wonder and possibility. In a society that gravitates to polar binaries and clear-cut moral positions, the Spirit invites us into the gray area, to the nuancing, to the intermingling with our most avid opponents. Where a world filled with terrible, suddenly moments erodes at our hope and joy, the Spirit suddenly stirs us to respond with great care. Indeed, I think the Spirit can out suddenly our most horrible sudden moments. The Spirit blows where it wills, and for every sudden catastrophe, the Spirit can move just as suddenly, stirring us to action. Now, I never did get my ribbon baton, and frankly, I probably wouldn't know what to do with it. I, uh, I don't think any of us need to see me attempt that while I have this injury, especially. Um, but you know what I can do as a person who wants to be led by the Spirit is... I can let go of my grip 
on the world around me just a little bit. I can be on the lookout for whatever God is up to. And this is our call. As people bestowed with the breath of God, this is our invitation, if we are willing to be surprised. Highland Church of Christ, may we open ourselves with great anticipation to the unpredictable work of God. May we never become so jaded or cold that we forget how to be surprised. May we leave this building and fully expect to see where God is moving all over Abilene and all over the world. Go with God.